The winds of change are blowing, and it's easy to get lost and off track. Hi, I'm Renee Barabow, the practical shaman, Hay House author of Winds of Spirit, a wind whistler, and soul coat. This is a show for pioneers who want to learn to navigate the world with a chaotic spin awake. Hello, and it's Renee, the practical shaman here, coming to you because I wanted to talk today about depression. There seems to be a lot lately of people who are um, committing suicide and watching the responses on social media and in other places has made me really want to have this conversation and want to have this conversation publicly. And if you want to join me in this conversation, I think you can join here. I'm not quite sure how, but hi, hi, Barbara. Um, there's ways that people can join this this talk. Does it show you an option to do that? Or maybe post your questions there? So Anthony Bourdain is the latest in the, the sui apparent suicides, and he was in a, a ho by himself in a hotel in France, and it's rumored that it was a suicide, and also there's rumors that he um, was an opioid user, and we know from his Kitchen Confidential that there was a time that he struggled with heroin. And I was in New York during those days. And okay, well, that's okay. You can watch and leave and you can watch later. If you have any questions, please let me know. And during, in, in New York in the eighties, it was a really uh, hectic time for chefs. They were, they were just starting to be a popular trade. And I just remember one day personally, um, I was, drinking really heavily and I was in a cab one day with two girls who were actually doing heroin and the the truth was I mean I was pretty miserable even the bartender told me I should stop drinking bourbon I mean I was sad I was lonely I didn't know anyone I thought New York was the most unfriendly place in the world and there I was alone learning how to cook and battling my own demons and one day I, I got into a cab two girls were were doing heroin. They were snorting heroin in the back of the cab and I wanted some. And I think it was by the grace of God that those that, that day the girls didn't want to share and they told me, hey, um, no no way, you, uh, we're not sharing with you. You don't need to get on this bent. And so I didn't. And that didn't mean that my depression didn't get worse, that my drug addiction didn't get worse. I'm glad you can relate. And you know, sometimes it makes no sense in the entire world why one would get depressed. And it wasn't the only time in my life that I struggled with that. So I went back to Syracuse. I opened a restaurant. My father, the day after, hi, Badir. I think that's how I say it. Badri. Badri. Hello, Badri. And my father had a massive stroke the day after my grand opening of my restaurant. And he was uh, quite a heavy drinker and a diabetic and had high blood pressure. And meanwhile, I had this brand new fledgling gourmet cooked order, farm to table, 20 years ahead of its time restaurant. And we were in the basement doing cocaine every single night until my partner was like, if you don't stop doing cocaine, I'm going to leave you. And, and someone's just on here. They said they have MS and depression is a, a big part of the disease and hi Maria and welcome Don and, and I 
definitely would love some questions and some feedback. And I don't know how to bring in a guest or I would be happy to. And so all my life, at the time when I was 30, I would literally go into a darkened room, close the curtains and hide for three days. It was, it was a time where I didn't know what else to do. It was a what's the use. Uh, luckily that they hadn't given me the heroin and luckily there was some kind of will to live. And my sister's here and so she understands depression and depression is a, it's something that doesn't go away. It's like you can learn to uh, mask the sy symptoms. You can learn better habits to deal with it. But in the long run, there's, there's this, it's a, it's a lifetime um, disease and they call it a disorder in the, the medical book, which I work at a treatment center. I should, the DSMR, the, the last one, it's a, it's a dis chronic disorder. Hi, Iris. And what, what we know about it is that there's parts of the brain where the, 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 the neurons don't fire or for my own brain that when one neuron, neuron, um, neuron fires to the next neuron, there's, there's this synapse and the leftovers, and this is how the doctor explained it to me, kept refiring. Um, hi, Colleen, I'm really sorry to hear that. Yes, I can just imagine, I, at Michael's house where I work in the treatment center, this, this um, spring we participated in the suicide walk. It, and one of the things that was most profound to me was that they had everyone's shoes. Um, everyone's shoes were lined up in along the bank of people who who couldn't find a, a more permanent solution to their temporary problem. And I say that it's a temporary problem because anyone who suffers from depression knows that, yeah, it's a misfire. I'll get back to that one second. So the anyone who suffers from this knows that there's a cycle of depression. You're not always in that, oh my God, what's the use? Uh, what am I going to do? And sometimes those periods of time can feel so overwhelming that you don't know what to do. So Barbara, what they, they drew a picture. I could draw a picture. So that in a normal brain, when, in a normal brain, when you get a stimulus, right? And one, one, one neuron tells the other neuron what to do, that, that it just, the excess dissolves. In a, in a person with some of the depressive qualities, what happens is that, and I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not a licensed therapist, just know I'm just a shaman, the practical shaman who was struggling so much in my early life that I took about, by 22, I really needed to know an answer. So, well, there's the whole dopamine thing and how we recreate that and how drugs then can uh, inhibit our ability to create more. But in this particular scenario, that when the one neuron fires to the next one, instead of it um, releasing and dissolving, what, what happens is that it keeps refiring and refiring and refiring. And so for me, I was very um, much since a very early age, very methodical, very kind of OCD. And, you know, like I would sing the same song over and over and over again. And uh, that was just how it worked out for me. But then again, so what I was what I was saying is so that when my 
my father passed away and I was sitting in the, the basement doing cocaine every night after my restaurant closed, there was this wake up call I got. And I just got this message like, wow, I could, I could die at 52 too. And I don't know why I got that message and other people that I know didn't, but I found myself, um, I found myself soon afterwards at a fire walk and then um, AA where, and then therapy because nothing was working out. And the therapist kept telling me that if I do, um, if I quit drinking, that I'd stop being in the places where cocaine was. Now, so for a lot of addicts and alcoholics and people who think, okay, they quit drinking. Well, for me, how it turned out was that once I quit drinking, then the depression got way worse. Two, two, two and a half years after I quit drinking, I ended up in a, a mental institution. At the time, they didn't have dual diagnosis treatment centers. They had mental institutions or treatment centers that handled the addiction. And I really, I've always been inquisitive. So I wanted to know how does the brain work? What can I do about this? And for me, I went to the, the mental institution and the doctor took me on daily walks around the complex. And he started to explain more and more about how this, how this disorder would work and how it would show up in my life and what, what things that I could do to lessen the symptoms. Do you hear that? It was lessen the symptoms. It wasn't that you're ever really going to cure this part of your makeup. And so medical marijuana may or may not help. I don't, I don't know. Um, For some people it is helping for some people it's not helping. So there's, again, it's how we help with the symptoms. Again, it's not like, do we get to cure it? And sometimes in my life, I've actually even felt cured. I mean, after some healings and after some medicine work that I've done, I've actually had long periods where everything is really going great. Thank you, Barbara, for sharing. And the yeah, people are sharing this broadcast. I think it's really important that we have this conversation because I've had conversations with my friends in the past few days and they're saying like, how could somebody with like hundreds of millions of dollars take their own life when they have children? Or how can a famous chef take their own life when you know they have children? And how selfish that is. Well, the truth of the matter is, is we're all very selfish. We're, we're navigating, you know, in my book, Winds of Spirit, we're navigating our own ships from our own wheelhouse. Yes, um, people come in, they have their own spiritual life. And uh, sure, it is really selfish and hurtful for the people who are left behind. But if you've ever really suffered from deep, dark depression, at that moment, it's only about you and your creator and what's the use. How many people in, who are listening to this uh, have had that what's the use? Um, so, uh, you know, I, I just think that 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 feeling that it's like a, it's like an entity that takes over your entire thought process. I mean, for me, I just published a Hay House book and everyone thinks like, well, how, how exciting is that? And those high moments for me, like caterings, when I do these magical weddings for a couple hundred people, publishing a book, um, graduating from college, all of these high moments always had equally corresponding lows. And over the years, hey, Lawrence, 
over the years, what's worked for me is to get better habits in place. And what are those better habits? Well, right now I've got the journal challenge going on. So journaling every day to look at what's really deep in there beneath it all. Um, when I got from the hospital, they wanted me to take lithium and Zoloft. And the lithium made me feel like I was adding an extra hour onto every single day. And I didn't like the way that felt. Does that mean that other people shouldn't find medication that works for them? Absolutely not. That's not what worked for me. I found an Ayurvedic, I found an Ayurvedic doctor who um, worked with me to uh, balance out my organs. And that, that seemed to work for many years. But then uh, 2004, I went down again. And that was over a heartbreak. So after that heartbreak, I thought, okay, well, how do we do with this? And so then I decided, well, I think I'll stay, stay neutral on relationships for a while until I can manage my moods in relationship. Well, now it's been 15 years. And so that doesn't always necessarily work either because then there's still the going down. And so after the book went down, hey, I had this real big high, really big low. And then you sit there, if you're a depressive type of person, you learn to work your way out you learned that this is going to pass. Uh, I take my nightly wind walks. I jump on my trampoline. I do the things that I do rotely. But trust me, when you're in that state, uh, it's a push through to do them. And it also doesn't necessarily make you bounce back to feel happy. Again, I go to the homeopath. And then the homeopath gives me uh, medicine or homeopathic remedies that help support whatever my particular selfishness is, my particular mood. And I feel, I feel really saddened for the other cultural creatives that I know, you know, and don't even know, like the Robin Williams and the Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade. I mean, these are people with high profiles who have a very serious um, disorder in the underbelly and as society, we don't want to know that part. I watched a video today about the homelessness in LA and what are they showing that, you know, all of the thousands of people are living on the street and, you know, there's people close to me who are also near the street and, you know, what, it's okay, but we don't, we want to put it over there. We don't want to see it. We don't want to put it in our neighborhoods. And a lot of this stems from depression you know, depression, not being able to, you know, be functional in society, you know, so what is that level? Where is that happiness? And you see that it's either from the people living in the streets to people living in five-star hotels in, in France, that no one is immune from this. And yet it's something that we just are not talking about calling it a disease of selfishness or self-pity, or why can't they pick themselves up at the bootstraps and you know, knock themselves out of this. And, and usually those people are people who, yes, they might go down, but they don't really know what it's like to be at a place where uh, suicide feels like the only option. All right. Uh, Renee, this is the Practical Shaman podcast. Hope you're all having a great day out there. And let's say a prayer for those people who have committed suicide in the last week. For those people whose life became so unmanageable that for them, that was the only way out. Because certainly it wasn't enough money. It wasn't enough drugs. It wasn't enough love from family members that could hold them and tether them to this planet. And, you know, 
extend your hand out, tell somebody you love them and have a wonderful day. Mm -hmm.